Thank you for visiting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We pray the following message will be encouraging to you. For more information about us, visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. Listen in as we start taking away the layers of religion and discover the joys of a relationship with the Creator. All right, all right. Oh. It's good. It's good to be together with God's people and it's good to get into God's word. Amen. Anybody excited about just getting a little, little chunk of God's word in your mouth and, and kind of letting it in you and letting it get in you and letting it take root, and letting it grow and letting it make you more a man or a woman that you were before you came in? I am. So I like to start with a quote. Here's the quote today. Every decision you make, every decision, is not a decision about what to do. It's a decision about who you are. That's heavy, right? So when you see this, when you understand it, everything changes. You begin to see life in a new way. All events, occurrences, and situations turn into opportunities to do what you came here to do. So every decision you make is about who you are and what you came to do. So the title today is, What Have You Come to Do? Isn't that a great question? What have you come to do? And, and you know, we, we come to church for so many different reasons. So many of us have, you know, we come to church to shut some people up. We come to church to, to make mom happy. We come to church to make dad happy. We come to church because, because parents said they'll throw us out if we don't go to church. Or, you know, for all different kind of reasons. I've talked to people that come to church because they say that this hour or two that they sit in church is the only peace that they have in their whole lives. I've talked to people that tell me, this is the only place the voices in my head are silenced. And so, you, the, I just say that so you would understand and not judge people. And, and not judge that, that people aren't worshiping the way some people do. And not, not put people in categories and not say some are more spiritual and some are more this. You don't know the reason why people are sitting here today. Amen? And, and it's our job to just welcome and love and let God do what he's got to do. Amen? So I need you to ask yourselves throughout the message today, what have you come to do? And I want to focus on a promise in the word of God that's just been, we've heard it through, through the worship already. And it's a promise, it's all over the word of God. I just, I picked it out in, in a couple of places. In First Chronicles it says 28 and 9, for those of you that take notes, God examines every heart and sees through every motive. If you seek him, he'll make sure you find them. Can anybody testify to that? That if you seek him, he'll make sure you find him. If you abandon him, he'll leave you for good, the word says. Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all other things he'll, will be added unto you. Isn't that a good promise? Grab it, put it in your pocket today. Take that home. Deuteronomy, if you seek and inquire for and require as necessity, that's the Amplified Bible, says it that way, the Lord your God, then you'll find him if you truly seek him with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul and life. 
I love the amplified it. It doesn't mean that it's louder. It just means that it says a lot more, right? And, and the, it says, if you inquire for and require as necessity, and see, that's half, that's 80% of our issues and our problems is that we don't require God as necessity. And so we come to God when things hurt, or we come to God when things are bad, or we come to God when things are, are when bills are late, or when somebody's hurting, or, you know what I'm saying? But, but if we were to require God as necessity, it'd be totally different, amen? Every decision would be about who we are and what we've come to do. So last week, we spoke about being a people ready to listen. If you didn't um, hear that message last week, you can see it on our website, download it, no charge. It's an iPod. You can, you can iCast it or whatever, podcast it. And, and I, I, I've been checking and I see that a lot of you, there's about 16 or 20 of you that are, are podcasting the messages. Amen. Amen. And then we get comments from people in California and in Seattle, friends of ours that, that respond to the message. And so it, it's, it's been an awesome thing and it's been a privilege to, to share God's word, not just here, but, but all over. Amen? To his glory. Amen. So we talked about being a people ready to listen and, and about being people that are seeking God, that are finding God in everything throughout their days, even when things get crazy, when things get rough, when things get impossible. We need to be people that are able to what? redirect our worship. Amen? Anybody made that part of their lifestyle yet? Two of you, amen. I wasted three messages and two of you are doing it. That's Praise God, it's worth it. But redirect your worship every time because, and, and I found another way to illustrate it today. See, whatever you shine your light on, that's what you focus on. Right? Isn't that good? How many of you watch CSI? Let me see if you ever caught this. You ever seen when they go to investigate a crime scene? And, and the crime scene is like six rooms. Or it's like, you know, four city blocks like this, right? Huge, huge. And, and the two or three guys are with these dumb little flashlights. And, and I always yell. I, oh, it never fails. I yell at the TV. And especially when they're in a room and they're walking around the whole room like this. And I'm like, put on the lights. Get the light. Put on the light. Put all the light on in the room. You'll see things. Isn't this stupid? This is dumb to go like this when you have all these lights in the room. Put them on. And that always frustrates me. But I'm not thinking like they're thinking. Like they've been trained to think. I'm thinking like a moron. And they're thinking scientifically that whatever I focus my light on, that's where my focus is going to be. Right. Thanks for explaining it to me. <laughs> if you put on everything, if all the lights are on, then it's like looking for, forget it, you know. But if you go through every area with the small light, then whatever you shine your light on, that's what you're going to focus on and your, your direction. So think about that in the spirit, about redirecting your, your worship. And whatever you shine your light, when all you're doing is shining your light on all of your bills, say, oh, that one's late. That's a late charge. That's a, and your whole focus is on, on this. Then, then, then God and everything else is in the shadows. And this becomes the, your focus. But when you redirect your worship and put it on God, then, then, 
then God says something funny happens with the lighting system. You redirect and focus on God, then that becomes your focus. Then God brings on the mega light, and he says, I will be a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. Amen? So then he puts on the right, the bright light, and, and leads you, and everything is clear. Amen? When you redirect your worship. Okay, so the next place in our word study that that we came to, for, uh, if you're visiting for the first, Eric's mom, you know, we've been doing a, a, a series on worship for the last months, couple of months, and we've just been doing a word study from, on the word worship from Genesis all the way to Revelations, and so this, this week, we, I, I got stuck on 2 Kings, and in 2 Kings, I saw something that kind of caught my attention, there's, there's worship in almost every other chapter and, and different books and stuff, but it's been pretty much the same things that we've been talking about. You know, God is talking about idolatry and God is talking about doing worship the right way and, and all that. This one had a little twist, and that's like where I like to stop and focus. So in 2 Kings, now throughout the, 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 the whole book of First and 2 Kings, we learn about all of the kings that God has had in power. You, and it's real easy to see when there were godly kings... When there were godly think kings, the people prospered. They were safe. They were blessed. But when there were ungodly kings, all hell literally would break loose. Whenever there was a godly king, people felt safe. People were blessed. Things prospered. Whenever an ungodly king, everybody was on their own. And all hell broke loose. And they set up all kinds of shrines to foreign gods. And they worshipped all kinds of craziness. And some of the biggest defilements in Christianity happened when there was an ungodly king. I'm talking about shrines. Uh, a shrine set up that had male prostitutes and female prostitutes for the priest to sleep with. Somebody said there's a problem with that. Problem. Amen? Problem. Issues. Right? I know we see it on TV today too, but it ain't right. It don't make it right, right? So whenever, you know, godly, and so it, it, it rises and falls, and this is a John Maxwell line, everything rises and falls on leadership. Can we, can we uh, acknowledge that today? Everything rises and falls on leadership. In the presence of godly leadership, people thrive. But when there is no standard, when there's no clear godly leadership the standards are lowered and the people are left to their own devices and people are left to evaluate and make up on their own what's right and what's wrong if you want a good example of that look at our public schools amen the teachers that work in our public schools see when we've taken prayer out and we've removed anything that says God. We don't even want to pledge allegiance and use the God word in the allegiance prayer. We, we don't, we, we, when we remove God from everything and then teach theories like evolution as if they were truth, theories as if they were truth, then, then we tell our kids since they're little that they are just a couple of million years removed from animals. That you've come from animals. And so then we wonder and scratch our heads why they act like animals. Right? But we've been teaching them that because when we lower the standards, that's what happens. All hell breaks loose. And, and so we can't complain when they act like animals. Take an example. When an animal is in heat, 
If there's little children, they should be out of here, but if not, just call their ears. When an animal is in heat, and that animal will jump on anything that will stay still long enough. Amen? Anybody have little dogs at home? When that time comes around, oh, cats are just disgusting. I know, we have one of those, and everything's just... Always backing up into anything that would move, right? Anything that would stay still long enough. Vile. But look at reality TV today and look at any show that has five or six people living in the same house and tell me if there's any difference. No difference. No difference. Why? Because we've lowered the standards and told people you came from animals. So why shouldn't I act like an animal? Amen? What? Have you come to do? See, we, we teach it and teach it and show it and illustrate it, but then we depend on a prophylactic to be the answer to all of our issues. I'll let that one sit. Raising the standards is the answer. Teaching truth is the answer. But when we decide to buy for our little kids books on witches and white magic and wizardry and making those books the best sellers in all of the nation, and, and we're just happy because our kids are reading. Hey, they're reading. Who cares? They're reading books like this big. So I don't care, let him read. Yeah, I don't care what my kid puts in his system. I don't care what belief systems are being fed into him. I don't care. As long as he's reading, he's going to be well-educated and good. And so we don't care that we can make those bestsellers, those books. Harry Potter. <laughs> but, but then, you know, then, then, then we, we can't complain when all they focus on and all they're consumed with is wickedness and absorbed into fantasy life and, and have this fantasy idea of good magic and white witches. And it's just wickedness with a different cover on it. Amen? I'm sorry if you've read those books. I'm sorry if you've bought them for your kids. I'm sorry if you've... I'm not... Don't feel condemned. Just do something about it. Amen? Amen? We're not here to beat you up. But do something about it. Because once you know the truth, once we raise the standard, I believe then it's up to us to step up into it. Amen? Come on. See, the word says, or, or check this out, this, this verse. The man, quote, the man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. That, I should have got two or three amens with that one. That, that's hot. So all throughout, anyway, First and Second Kings, what captured my attention is what we see in, we find in Second Kings 18, if you're taking notes and if you want to look there. It's where Hezekiah, how many know King Hezekiah, right? Hezekiah, not Hezekiah like the worship guy, but Hezekiah in the Bible, King Hezekiah. He's, we find out that's where his 29-year reign begins, and we find out that Hezekiah is 25 years old when he starts this this. this 29-year reign, and I love, I'm just going to read you the first part of that chapter so you hear the way God talks about him, if my notes stop flying away. In verse 3 of Hezekiah, it says, in God's opinion, he was a good king. He kept to the standards of his ancestor David. He got rid of the local fertility shrines and he smashed the phallic stone monuments and he cut down the sex and religion Asherah groves and as a final stroke, he pulverized the ancient bronze serpent that Moses had made. 
At, the, at that time, the Israelites had taken up the practice of sacrificing to it, and they had even dignified it with a name. So in verse 5, Hezekiah put his whole trust of, in, in the God of Israel, where there was no king, and there was no king quite like him either before or after. He held fast to God, never loosened his grip, and obeyed to the letter everything that God commanded Moses. And God, for his part, held fast to him through all of his adventures. I don't know about you, but I, I'd like my story to be told that way. Amen? I, I'd love people to tell me, yeah, and to talk about me and say, he held fast to God. He never loosed his grip on God. And for the most part, God held fast to him throughout all of his adventures. That's, that's, that's how I want my story told. Even, even at one point, Hezekiah is sick. And a prophet tells him, you're going to die from this. You're not going to get well. And so Hezekiah prays and prays and prays. And before the prophet even leaves the room, God talks to the prophet and sends him back. And says, tell him, I've heard his prayer and I've granted him 15 more years. That, is that a godly man or what? I mean, that, you know, I, I want that. You know, I want to be like, am, am I going to die from this? And, and, and the doctors tell you, yeah, you're definitely going to die from this. Everybody else dies from this. And, and I pray to God and God tells me, no, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Amen? Like when I'm 90, he's, I'm going to give you 15 more years. Praise God. So, you know, I mean, that, that's somebody that, that I want to, you know, find out more about. And so when you read about someone like that, you want to find out more about him. You want to find out what he do. What was his life like? What was his worship like? Amen. Since we're doing a study on worship. So it tells us right in the beginning, he got rid of the local fertility shrines and he smashed the phallic stone monuments and he cut down the sex and religion Asherah groves. Now, if those things were there, you need to understand that means the last king either put them there or approved of them, right? So, so if they were all throughout the land, fertility shrines and, and sex and religion um, shrines and phallic monuments, I'm not going to break that down, but if you look up phallic, some of you understand what this is. Uh, what this is. There are monuments of male anatomies in the land of God's people that they worship. Some of you understand what that is. Some, some things today are not much different, are they? There's people today that worship it too, don't it? Let's not go there. That's a whole other message. So the wicked kings before him either set those things up or allowed them. And Proverbs says, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. Amen? So somebody had put that up. So the first thing that happens, Hezekiah tears these things down. He smashes them to the ground. The poles, the, the, the phallic stone monuments, the Asherah. Asherah was a god of fertility. And so people worship this God of fertility because back then you had to have kids. If you didn't have kids, you, didn't, you, you weren't worth anything. You know, and so it was all part of the, the culture and part of the system. So they had fertility gods that they would worship. Some of you, you've seen pictures of the gods. It's, it's, a, it's a god with like 19 breasts. You've seen those? There's a weird one in Manhattan I saw up in a store. Weird. Right? And so it, it was all kinds of man-made things that, that they would pray to and worship 
and, and, and pray that, you know, that there would be craziness, craziness. So Hezekiah tears all those things down. That alone is powerful, right? We've, and we've talked about this in, a, in, our, in this study of worship. God says, I'm a jealous God. I'm not going to share my glory with anybody. And so God says, I created you. You don't worship anybody. I made you. If, if you need to be fertile, pray to me. I will make you fertile. If you need, ba- pray to me. I will do that. Don't pray to anybody else. God says, I'm a jealous God. My name is jealous. So how many know that's a big pet peeve for God when we put other people before him? Big time. He has major issues with that. So, so he, already, he already won God's heart by smashing, by, by smashing those things down. But then there's something right at the end there that caught my attention. These papers are blowing me away here. It says, as a final stroke, he pulverized the ancient bronze serpent that Moses had made. And so when you read something like that, you have to say, wait a minute, where did that come from? This ancient bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now we're going back to all the way back in Numbers and in the beginning of the word when Moses was delivering his people. And so they had this relic and Hezekiah comes and destroys it. So my first thought is this guy's crazy. You know, why, why, why did he do that? that? That would be nuts to destroy something that, that's a relic, a historic relic. But, and, and let's find out where that came from. In Numbers, we read about real quick how the Israelites, they were on their way to the promised land, right? Moses was leading them to the promised land. They came to the town of Edom, and they asked the Edomites, can we go through? Because it's, to get to Canaan, the promised land, we got to go through. Amen. We got to go through the Bronx to get to Manhattan, that kind of thing, right? And so you ask the king of the Bronx, can, can we come through the Bronx? They promise we're not going to eat your food. We won't, we're not going to, we're just going to go right through quietly. Let us go through. The king says, no. The Edomite says, no, you can't come through. So that means they have to go all the way around the Edomites to get to the promised land. Problem with that, that means that they would have to go backwards into the wilderness to come all the way around to come through. Sidebar. Sometimes, sometimes God makes you go backward to get to where you need to go. Sometimes it's because of your own disobedience. And sometimes it's just because he wants to teach you something. Amen? Some of us ain't ready for the promised land. And so he got to send us backwards and around so we can learn some lessons before the blessing comes. Amen? Sidebar. All right. So, so they complain. What happens? They complain and they grumble and they say, God, and they says that they complain against God and complain against Moses. And so, you know, when, in, in, in Old Testament, when you complain about God, he hears it and he deals with it immediately. Today we live in grace. Praise God. Right? How many of you shake your fist at God sometimes and say, right? Just me and Eric and Israel. Amen. Right? And, and thank God that it's New Testament, that we're on the grace that he looks at us through, through the blood and he sees us differently. Because back then, when you shake your fist at God, he stomped you out. Like quickly. So look what he does to them. They, they grumble and complain to Moses. They say, ah, are we going to die in the, in the wilderness? Are we gonna, you brought us out here to die. You should have left the slaves in Egypt. And so God gets angry and God sends poisonous snakes. See, we don't understand, but like, don't mess with somebody that has all the resources of the world. It's kind of dumb, right? It, it's different. Like, if I mess with Joe, and, and you know, Joe has some resources. If Joe finds me, he can kill me. If, but, but when you mess with God, he has all the resources in the world to come after me. Like, where do you hide when you get God angry? 
right? So God, he, he, he sends poisonous snakes. He just says, and all these poisonous snakes come and start killing people. So people get bit and are dead. So naturally, just like the Israelites, you know, just like us, when, when we know we've done wrong and, and now we're busted, now people are dropping left and right from poisonous snake bites and, and when there's poisonous snakes all around us and we're scared, we come back to God, right? Like, like all good Christians do. We come back to God. God, we're sorry. Please. And so they go to Moses. Please stop. Stop the snakes. Talk to God. We angered him. We're sorry. We complained. And so God tells Moses, check this out. God tells Moses, Take, make an image of a serpent and put it on top of a flagpole. And raise it up. And whoever looks on the image, whoever is bitten and looks on the image will be saved. They'll be healed. But whoever refuses to look will die. So Moses does it. He makes the snake. He puts it on top of the pole and he raises it up. And whoever, he makes it out of bronze. And whoever looks at it is instantly healed. Amen? Can somebody say that's kind of weird? That's a weird thing for God to do. Like, why would God use a snake, which is, like, wicked from Genesis, right? We have all this wicked thing about snakes. A lot of us don't even like snakes, right? And, and we have this enmity toward the snake. And why would God use a snake and then raise it up, the same snake that's killing them, raise it up, and so the people will look at it and be saved? Well, if, if you think about it, it's a picture of the gospel, See, because if you take a snake that's vertical and you put it on top of a flagpole, it's a cross, isn't it? See, God was already giving us hints and pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. And so if you raise it, historically we've taken that image and we've, we've taken the pole with the snakes wrapped around it. But that's not, that's not what the Word says, told him to do. And so you know that our, even our medical symbol, right, the, the staff with the two snakes, that comes from the Word of God comes from this very verse. Because when you look at it, it's a sign of healing. Whenever you looked at it, you were healed. You were saved. So our medical symbols are from the, from the word of God. Amen? So <clears throat> I said, that's weird. And, and we start thinking about the cross. And, but it all comes together in John 3, 14 and 15. Jesus mentions that. And he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, it's a picture, it's a New Testament, it's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament fulfillment. Amen? It all comes together. Jesus is showing us that this was a picture of the gospel of the cross to come. People were saved not by doing anything, but just by looking at it, by just believing it. Isn't that a cool, cool kind of relationship there? Anyone that believes on it was going to be saved. Anybody that refuses it will surely die. And so now, okay, anything that Moses used in the Old Testament became like this historic relic. And all God's people had to carry them around everywhere. The Levites, there were special people that just were, were, their job was just to carry all the stuff around. And so they would carry the staff, the rod. They would carry samples of the manna that God rained down from heaven. Remember, all of that stuff was collected and was like important. But here Hezekiah comes and takes something that was important, something that was historically a relic and incredible, and destroys it. It says he pulverizes it. And so, you know, when, when we read that he does that, I say, this is, this is crazy. Why, you know, why would he do something like that? 
But, you know, I thought God's surely going to kill this man, but the key is in the next verse. At that time, the Israelites had taken up the practice of sacrificing to it. And so people were burning incenses to this staff with the snake on it. And people were sacrificing to this staff with the snake on it. See, fallen man, listen to this, fallen man can take any good and glorious thing from God and find an idolatrous use for it. Amen? We can take anything good and make something bad out of it. Here, these people have taken something godly, something that God's God inspired, something that God used mightily for his glory, and they made an idol out of it. And I'm, I'm closing, I promise. See, as I was studying this and, 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 and trying to get it, get it down, I didn't get this, this down until 1.30 in the morning last night. All week I'm wrestling with this and thinking, man, what is it? And, and God started, it became a prophetic message for me and for the church. God started telling me, see, that's, that's uh, I felt God speaking to me that this was a form of tradition. And see, we have so many traditions. Some are good, some are godly, and some are just the way we always did it in the church. Amen? Whenever you try to do something different, Tradition comes up and tells you that's not the way it should be done. Just in starting this church, I've, I've seen that happen. When, when we first had coffee and stuff and, and people were bringing, we say, it's okay, but get your coffee, bring it into the sanctuary and we'll, you know, bring your drinks, come on in and, 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 and it's all right. And I had people tell me, listen, the Lord is not pleased with that. In the sanctuary, there should be no coffee drinking. Surely the Lord is displeased. Meanwhile, the church is growing. People are getting saved. More people are coming. But this one brother told me the church, the Lord is not pleased with that. And I said, you know, okay. And, and you know, he sent me to prayer. I didn't just dismiss him. I said, God, you know, am I doing something wrong? And, 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 and you know, I, but, but, but listen, God, that's tradition. And, and then there was another issue. You have sofas in the sanctuary. The Lord says that thou would not have thy sofas in thy sanctuary. And I, I'm like looking through my Bible. Where's that? I'm doing searches. Where's sofas in the Bible? Where is that? Why is God angry because I have sofas or coffee in the sanctuary? And then let's not even get into all the people that said I need to be wearing a suit and tie. Because that's not that the word of God, the minister of the Lord, should not be in denim. According to whatever, whatever, whatever. Right? What book is that in? That's what I'm saying. Thank you for supporting the Sanctuary Fellowship. We are a new and growing church with a passion and a heart towards enjoying God, serving people, and building healthy families. We pray that you will continue to fellowship and grow with us as we follow hard after God. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.sanctuaryfellowship.org. God bless.